Business and Buckets fam, we are live, episode 44 of Business and Buckets. Not only is it episode 44, but it's the first beginning that you guys get to spend with me talking about this NFL season. And obviously, I'm excited. I got my black and yellow on, you know, TJ Watts holding out, no big deal. Fingers crossed that gets managed. But football being back is just an awesome sight. I had so much fun with the college football this past week. Go Montana Grizzlies, go! But before we talk sports, let's talk fueled supplements. You know, health is wealth. Keep your guys' immune system strong, reduce cortisol, and detoxify your body on a cellular level to relieve, relieve chronic joint pain and increase your overall energy and vitality with fueled supplements wellness products. Field multivitamins and field greens is the immunity combo your body needs to be and stay at your best. You can always make more money, but you can't always get back your health. Start today and save a little cash while you invest in yourself and your future by using code BUCKETS for 15% off at FueledSupplements.com, the best place on the web for sports and wellness products. Once again, promotion code BUCKETS, B-U-C-K-E-T-S. But like I said, there's a lot happening in the football world. I'll save the Montana stuff for when we talk about college football. But we had some headlines in the NFL. We're going to dive into this weekend's picks and why I'm picking who uh, the, the teams that I am. And just talk a little bit about what's in store this coming Sunday when I plop on a couch and I don't move whatsoever. Especially because I'm going to a concert on Friday. Maybe a little hungover uh, come uh Sunday after the weekend, so I'll be able to to need to utilize this time to make the best of it. All right, well, let's talk some headlines. So there's still things happening, right? Uh, People are getting moved. Roster moves are being made. IR, uh, COVID things. Uh, So it, it helps create things for extra free agent signings. There's trying to figure out cap space rework deals. And one that's very noteworthy... Tyron Matthew on the COVID list right before the season. Um, they do have a pretty big week one matchup. Um, you know, it is against the Browns, but is he going to be able to play? I'm not too sure. Um, you know, I don't know if he has a vaccine or not. Obviously, we talked about different holdouts if people do and don't. So there's just a lot of things here, but I'm assuming he won't play, which is a huge playmaker in that defense. Definitely going to play a factor in week one against the Browns. So keep that in mind when you're making your picks. Uh, the Steelers add Carl Joseph, much needed, uh, you know, depth in the secondary uh, outside of Trail Edmonds. There's just not a lot of, you know, competent player, or excuse me, outside of Mika Fitzpatrick and Trail Edmonds, not a lot of depth there. So if anything, hoping he could relive, you know, his his college days as he really hasn't panned out in the league. I think he's a great fit for the for the safety core of the Steelers. I think he, you know, can tackle well. He's a an average player. You know, is he going to be Mika Fitzpatrick for us? Probably not. But hopefully with the culture and the and the playmakers that we have in our defense, we could bring some of that, be contagious, and help his performance um, for this upcoming year. Joe Hayden, as I had mentioned, not offered an extension by the Steelers. Um, you know, he basically said one last dance. This is it with Pittsburgh. At 32 years old, though, again, like I had talked about last week, I don't know if that would have been the best move, especially by how much money he's wanting. Um, you know, there's just definitely a cliff at the age, 
a certain age point with the with the cornerbacks. They have to keep up with these very young premier receivers, and at that age, you're always going to lose a step as the years go on. I love me Joe Hayden, one of the best signings that we ever had once we snagged him from Cleveland. Um, but yeah, definitely a business move. Sad to see. Wish he would stay, but it's probably a win-win for both sides. For the Steelers, more news. Stephon Tuitt, Zach Banner, and Anthony McFarland land on the IR. Uh, Tuitt, a huge playmaker. There's rumors he might be out for longer than expected. You know, he could be out for the season. Who knows? He's definitely battled injuries through his Steelers tenure. Zach Banner, an expected starting lineman coming off from ACL surgery, seems to be further away than uh, what we had expected as we had forecasted him as a starting lineman. But Dan Moore has really done a good job, you know, supposedly deserving of it. But still a tough loss. You know, hopefully these guys could come back after the three-week minimum. And then also the second running back on the depth chart, Anthony McFarlane, who would have helped Najee Harris a little change of pace, a little bit of a scat back situation. Um, now they only have Kellen Balage as they got rid of um, Jalen Samuels, and they do have Benny Snell. So I don't think they're terribly misfortunate at the line running back position. It would have been nice to have McFarlane as that change of pace guy, though. Jarrell Casey announcing retirement. One of the most dominant nose tackles um, probably in the last decade, honestly. Uh, this guy is an animal. He is a force to be reckoned with. A guy that had to be game-planned against. And at 31 years old, he's calling it a career. I mean, we look at his specific numbers. This guy's been a pro bowler. One, two, three, four, five years running until last year. Um, which, you know, he only got three games in. Obviously, his body holding that kind of weight, playing as a D tackle in the NFL, just take it's a it's a big toll on you guys, uh, on, on the player. But I mean, he's had really really standout seasons. Again, he made the Pro Bowl five times in a row. Uh, he had a season high ten and a half sacks in 2013, and then five seven five six seven five. If you're getting five or more uh, sacks from your D tackle, you're in a good position. Double digit tackle for losses every year. Uh, you know he was notoriously on the uh, players top 100 voting um so sad to see him go but uh uh wonderful career golf claps to Jarrell Casey Everson Griffin back with the Vikings this just like the Joe Hayden news each week we have a little update um I assume this was a roster move precaution you wanted to sign the guy just to let him go in the first place they need him as an edge rusher but he will be uh part of that defensive core with the Vikings Really good signing here. I have a coworker that's a Raiders fan. He was talking about it a little bit, uh, but the Raiders signing KJ Wright shore up the middle of that defense. Um, still has a lot left in him. Had a pretty outstanding year last year. Great to see him land on a roster before the season starts. Another acquisition: the 49ers getting Josh Norman, about a two million dollar one year deal. Uh, hoping hoping he has a little bit left in the tank. His performance has definitely taken a dip the past few years. But if he could, you know, add any kind of leadership or ability, that makes the 49ers already great defense uh, the next step above. And obviously, I'm, I'm high on the Niners' defense as I had them uh, attending the Super Bowl this year in my preseason predictions, which if you haven't checked out, it's still there. The web doesn't delete the things. Go check out last week's episode where I give my season predictions. I've also shared the clips on my IGTV. Um. More running back injuries for the Baltimore Ravens as Justice Hill tears his Achilles. They are working out Le'Veon Bell, former Steeler, and Devonta Freeman, who just got ad added and cut from the team. 
So needing some running back depth. They have Gus Edwards. Um, they have another rookie in there, but you know, it, it's very, very shallow depth, but not a lot of experience. So looking to add somebody else, very tough loss for Justice Hill. I liked him a lot at Oklahoma State. Mark Andrews, Boomer Sooner, baby, getting a four-year extension for the Ravens. Honestly, probably their premier passing option. Lamar Jackson's had quite a quite a good chemistry with him, gives him a lot of balls down the field, and uh, he is rewarded with a nice extension to stay in Baltimore. And, of course, not too crazy of a uh, uh, headline, but Tyrod Taylor starting for the Texans, Deshaun Watson not wanting to play there, has, in the, has the legal issues. It's going to be hard for a team to want to trade for him. Uh, but that's the state of the situation. Tyrod Taylor in, in uh, to start week one against the 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 rookie Trevor Lawrence. That'll be a fun one to see, you know, how these quarterbacks pan out. Um, today, the Saints actually signing Desmond Trufant, adding to their secondary. Um, I was a little surprised he got cut in the first place, so I'm sure that would be a good add for the Saints. I was honestly hoping the Steelers would check him out, uh, as well as Josh Norman, but for the price tags and the age, uh, we already have an aging Joe Hayden. We don't need to have a bunch of 30-plus-year-old corners. Uh, Dwayne Brown restructuring his contract and will play for the Seahawks. This is huge news for a very Dwayne Brown-dependent line. Um, at the age that he's at, it's hard for them to want to pay him, but he needs to get paid because he's still their best option. So he gets a restructured contract. I think he gets more money up front, um, but they're able to find a middle ground because the Seahawks desperately would need him in their line this year. So let's talk this week's action. Um, probably be a shorter NFL segment from here on out till the end of the football season as we'll be able to preview weeks and talk about what happened the past week. Uh, but we'll start with the Thursday night matchup. We have a really star-studded matchup. Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys, America's team, up against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I play softball every Thursday night in the league. Uh, I'll be missing majority of this game. Uh, which will be a bummer, but it's the last week of softball, so I won't miss Thursday night football moving on. Um, but this is going to be a fun one. I mean, star-studded, you know, drop drop the mic week one entrance here. Obviously, Tampa Bay is playing at home. I'm obviously picking Tampa Bay. The Cowboys having, you know, injury risk issues, uh, just been battling things uh, through COVID, through injuries. Um, yeah, uh, plus the team hasn't played together since Dak Prescott broke his ankle, foot, whatever you want to call it. And, um, you know, it's, it's a big week one matchup for a team that's returning everybody from a Super Bowl championship year. But I think it's going to be a high-scoring, fun game. It is going to be closer than people expect, but it's hard to pick against Tampa Bay at home. And as I had said in my season prediction episodes, home field advantage is going to play a massive role this year, especially with a lot of these teams not having fans for, for the past uh, season with COVID issues arising. And hopefully that's the case, knock on wood, that we have fans in stadiums the rest of the year. Um, some early uh, Sunday matchups, as that's our Thursday night matchup. We have Eagles um, hitting the road to play the Falcons. Matt Ryan, Matty Ice's Falcons. Um, I was pretty back and forth on this matchup. The Battle of the Birds. Uh, but Jalen Hurts is a starting quarterback. I just don't have a ton of faith in that. So I am actually picking the Atlanta Falcons to have another home team take the victory. And, uh, you know, two NFC losses right off the bat there. That was a dumpster fire of a division. And as I had predicted in my preseason predictions, not going to take a lot to win that division regardless. And then we have my favorite game, obviously, of the day. 
Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers visiting the Buffalo Bills. TJ Watt still having no contract freaks me out. I thought by Labor Day we would for sure have a deal done, but supposedly they're hitting snags with guaranteed money, which his last contract already had $10 million guaranteed. You know, I understand where the players are coming from. I understand where the Steelers are coming from. They've done business a certain way for a long time. Things are changing. If you want to keep the player, franchise player, you're probably going to have to, you know, give in a little bit. But regardless, I expect TJ Watt to play this Sunday. Mike Tomlin said that in the press conference today. Um, with or without TJ Watt, though, this is a big ask to overcome. You have two rookie linemen starting on your line. Uh, they'll probably have a huge dose of Najee Harris, still his first NFL game, against a team that has Super Bowl potential. Now, is this a, you know going to be a blowout game? I don't think so. I think it is going to be closer than people expect. The Steelers' defense is still a force to be reckoned with. Uh, but I don't know how they're going to stop Josh Allen hitting Stephon Diggs as Joe Hayden's probably not going to keep up with them. And we have a bunch of young players in the secondary uh, guys playing corner that we didn't even expect until now. So I am going to have to take the bills. So I got Bucks, Falcons, Bills early on. Um, we also have the Vikings visiting the Cincinnati Bengals. Obviously, I'm not super high on the Cincinnati Bengals and Joe Burrow's surrounding cast. It's not necessarily that I'm not high on Joe Burrow. But the Vikings coming in as a, a well-veteran-led team, the best running back in the league, the Bengals' defense definitely shaky, plus the idea uh, of the Minnesota defense against um, the Bengals' pretty much patchwork offensive line. I don't feel too comfortable in that. This is my eliminator pick of the week. I do eliminator leagues. This is the, 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 the su submission that I'm entering, and I am excited to see what happens as they play the Cincinnati Bengals on the road. Other 10 a.m. matchup on the, you know, I'm in Seattle, so the Pacific Co uh, Pacific time zone. We have the Niners visiting the Lions. Jared Goff, the new look Lions. Um, you know, great offensive line. Outside of that, lots of different holes. The 49ers coming in with one of the best rosters. That's why I had picked them to the, to the Super Bowl. I'm going with the Niners over the Lions on the road here. I thought about picking this for the Eliminator, but I want to save the Niners for a later game down the road where I don't too, feel too comfortable picking Minnesota many times this year. And the the Bengals win. My whole Eliminator's over, but I'm confident. I'm confident. Um, another 10 a.m. matchup. We have the Cardinals visiting the Tennessee Titans. Fun AFC-NFC matchup. A two-playoff hopeful teams. Um, definitely back and forth on this. Seeing Arizona traveling to Tennessee. I really think East Coast, West Coast teams traveling to the opposite coast to start the season or in the middle of the season after injuries becoming a thing definitely uh, is an issue, especially on the Thursday night games. But this is going to be a road team that I'm going to pick. I think Derrick Henry does have a pretty good day. Hopefully, J.J. Watt and uh, Chandler Jones can, can slow him down. Uh, and their new speedy linebackers, Isaiah Simmons and squad. Um but I think the Cardinals offense is going to be too much to ask for uh, the Tennessee Titans defense. I think they outscore them in this situation. And I think uh, MVP Kyler Murray candidate takes an early lead into the season after this performance. So I'm going to take the Cardinals in a close one um, on the early games on Sunday. We also have Seahawks versus Colts um, on the road. Again, Seattle, way up here in the north, have to go all the way to Indianapolis for an early Sunday game. If you look at their records on coast-to-coast uh, -coast travel, it's not very good. If this was in Seattle, I would undoubtedly pick um, the, the Seahawks. But Carson Wentz, Quentin Nelson's uh, expected to play. Are they going to be injured right away week one? 
Did I put injuries into my season predictions? Absolutely. I think that will take some time. Uh, so I am going to pick the Colts on the road. This is a huge game for Carson Wentz to prove himself within the Colts uh, system and foundation. They have an amazing run game led by Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack, who I still am very high on. But supposedly in training camp, he has looked slowed and not fully recovered. So, you know, I'm not in training camp. It's hard for me to say. Uh, but I did like the potential of Marlon Mack. I think they use a heavy dose of run game here, and I think their their defense is going to be all over Russell Wilson. He's going to be scrambling for his life. Uh, so if you have Seahawks fantasy players, watch out week one as I got the Colts winning at home. We have the Washington football team. They said they were getting a new name. They haven't. Can we please get a new name? Uh, but WFT versus the Los Angeles Chargers. Five years ago, who would have thought that we'd be saying the WFT Washington football team and the LA Chargers, let alone LA having two teams? But here we are. And I want to take the defending NFC East champion Washington football team over the Chargers. The Chargers are this shiny, glimmery Justin Herbert toy that everybody enjoys and thinks they're going to have an amazing season. I'm not necessarily saying they're going to have a bad season, but again, an L.A. West Coast team going all the way to the East Coast early Sunday morning, week one. Lots of pressure for the rookie. Uh, Washington football team's defense is nasty. It's going to test the Chargers early, and I think that Ryan Fitzpatrick's able to get the job done. I'm locking in the Washington football team Sunday morning. A uh, couple more Sunday morning games. We have the Jets, Jets, Jets. Versus the Carolina Panthers, one of my biggest sleepers in the season predictions. I've seen most predictions have them a lot lower, a six-win team roughly. Uh, but I think the Sam Darnold revenge game here in week one, uh, he goes bonkers. He's going to ball out. I like his weapons in Carolina. Obviously, CMC, DJ Moore. Um, and I think their defense is an improving squad. Some people are very high on Zach Wilson. I've seen some very high IQ people say he's going to be one of the next great things. I haven't seen it. All I've done is seen him crumble under pressure in big games and him just kind of look lost out there. So I'm not very confident that he could go on the road, manage a win in his first NFL game. I'm locking in Carolina for that morning matchup. And then last of the morning games, we got the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is going to be the most watched game, I'm sure. Uh, it's probably blacked out everywhere. <laughs> uh, but Jacksonville Jack Jaguars traveling to Houston to take on the Texans, the Tyrod Taylor-led Texans. Um, to be honest, Tyrod, I don't think is a terrible quarterback. I'm glad he's getting an opportunity. That roster is such a mess though. The coaching, um, you know, the culture, I just don't know if they're going to be able to shore things up here in the first few weeks after everything that's happened in the off season. I am going to go with Trevor Lawrence getting his first victory in his first game. Jaguars stealing a divisional game on the road. And I think it's going to be a heavy dose of, um, James Robinson in this one. So I'm going to go with Jacksonville as the, the road winner in, in this matchup. And then we have three, four, four afternoon games, which in the Pacific time zone, it's at 125. We got probably the best game. I'm surprised this was not a, um, a primetime matchup. We got the Browns taking on the Chiefs on the road, and I am taking the Chiefs. I'm as high on the Chiefs as anybody. New line pieces, Pat Mahomes. You have Travis Kels. You have... Uh, CEH, you have just so many different weapons, Tyree Kill, Cheetah. Uh, I just don't see the Browns being able to slow them down. And um, it's going to be a fun one. Baker Mayfield and Pat Mahomes have had some history. They both played in the uh, Big 12, put up record-breaking performances. So I expect this one to crush the over. It's going to be a fun one. Everyone tune in. Everyone's fantasy players are going to eat, but the Chiefs still won probably about around a 10-point victory at home.
Kansas City's going to be rocking. And then a fun divisional matchup of just really make made over teams. Uh, I guess the Dolphins aren't made over, but Tua is such a question mark. It's very intriguing. You have the Dolphins visiting the Patriots. Uh, Tua, huge pressure moment for him. Mac Jones in, out goes Cam Newton. A lot of hype going to be around Mac Jones and his performance here against a very good Dolphins defense. And I thought about picking the Dolphins. It's actually 50-50 on ESPN as I have it pulled up. I'm actually going to take the Patriots at home. I think that the team, the culture, they're going to find a way to get the job done. They're going to use a lot of different schematics that I think hasn't been seen post-Tom Brady and a lot different than what they had had going on last year with Cam Newton. I think they get the job done, but I think this is a very close matchup. If you want to bet, I mean, it doesn't show the Vegas favorite here. Let's see. What is the odds? You got to have it on here, right? All right. Uh, the Patriots are favored by three. Um, over under 44. Yeah, I mean, good little upset special if you want to make a little bit of cash, put a little bit of dough on the Dolphins. Um, I, I don't think that you can be too upset with that, but I am taking the Patriots at home. And then we have um, what normally, and I still just like to put Drew Brees as a saint, right? The saints like, ooh, Brees Rogers. Not so fast. You insert Jameis Winston, but still a very fun afternoon game. The Packers traveling to Jacksonville to take on the Saints since they can't play in New Orleans after Hurricane uh, Ida. So, yeah, still a fun matchup. I'm taking Aaron Rodgers on his last chance tour with um, Green Bay. I think that offense is going to be too hard to tame for the for the Saints, and I just don't know if I could confidently, confidently bet on Jameis Winston playing a conservative game with no turnovers when he's trying to keep up the scoring of the pack. So I'm going to go pack on the road over the Saints week one, which sets us up for the last afternoon game. Broncos taking on the Giants on the road, and I'm going with the Broncos. You watch the season predictions. I'm pretty high on the Broncos. Their defense is good. I think they could manage the the QB play enough just to let their running backs thrive. I do think we see a two-headed beast between Gordon and the rookie Williams, and I think they're going to run all over the Giants, and that defense is going to eat up that Giants line, and Danny Dimes is going to be running for his life. Hopefully he doesn't get hurt and he can be okay because that's a scary line this year for sure. And then the best matchup usually of the week, the Sunday night football matchup, the Bears on the road against the L.A. Rams, the Matt Stafford debut for L.A. in prime time. And I think he goes nuts. I think he, <laughs> whether Justin Fields has any kind of play or not, really just shits on, um, uh, Jesus, uh, Andy Dalton and, and the team for Chicago. I think their offense goes bonkers. I think that the Bears do potentially get a couple turnovers. But I think this is a pretty lopsided Sunday night affair. But hey, you know, the big lights are on. Uh, the Bears do have a decent roster themselves. They could put up a fight, but I'm ta definitely taking the Rams on that Sunday night matchup. And then heading into the new week, Monday night football before the podcast recording on Tuesday, you have the Raiders hosting the Ravens. I've been super back and forth on this one. The Ravens have a lot of weird injuries going on. Obviously, the running backs, they have lingering receiver effects going. Um, There's just lots of question marks on that team. And going on the road in a primetime game against the Raiders, who are in like DeathCon 5 desperation. Uh, you know, if Gruden doesn't figure it out this year, I don't know how much more leeway they're going to give him. 
Um, plus, they're playing in front of their new stadium crowd as well as the Rams. Uh, the Chargers are on the road and the Rams in both primetime matchups. I'm going to say the Death Star's rocking. People are in the club, in the end zones, party rocking. And I think they squeeze away a late win victory here. So I am going to take the Raiders at home. The Vegas Raiders against the Baltimore Ravens. That's my picks for the week. I'm super excited. I'm literally like a kid on Christmas. I have my fantasy drafts this afternoon. That's why I'm recording this at this moment because I'm so hyped for fantasy. I'm excited to see who I get a who I get a root for. I usually do two leagues. I do one that's a standard league that I'm a commissioner for. You get big play bonuses, bonuses for big plays or like going over 100, 200 yards running back, so on and so forth. And then the other league that I do is a defensive IDP league. You get a drafty tackles, corners, linebackers. That makes a lot of uh, makes it a lot of fun. Uh, it is a free league, but I don't like to have a ton of leagues because then you're like, well, I got Ronald Jones here, I got CMC here, and like I don't want this to happen. And you can't really root for anything because you have too many players. You have the whole league. It's just kind of a mess when you're all bought into basically one set of players. It makes it so much more intense. And you got to live or die by them, uh, just like being a sports fan. So that's my th- thoughts on fantasy football. Next week, I'll go over my team. Let me know what you guys think. You know, we'll, we'll talk a little bit about fantasy throughout the season, but I'm not going to be doing a fantasy segment or a fantasy show. But yeah, I am super hyped up. Not only do we have the first week of football of NFL, but we have the second week of college football which we got to recap last week's action because a lot went down. And we're going to start with the game that I was able to attend, the Montana Grizzlies. Go Grizz, go, with a 13-7 victory over the 20th-ranked UW Huskies. Um, obviously, I was going to go to the game. It's fun to see some old college friends at the game. I, I think the Husky Stadium is the best sports site in Seattle. I you know, I hate calling it Lumen Field, but I think it's a lot better than Lumen Field, T-Mobile, uh, T-Mobile is pretty dope, but having Mount Rainier, having the lake in the background, just the setting, the college campus, uh, it's a lot of fun. I didn't think the Husky fans really showed out that much. They probably were in the tailgates expecting a lopsided win like I was. And I'm killing myself that I didn't even bet like 25, 50 bucks on the game just because. Because, um, yeah, I would have been a richer man today. That is for sure. Uh, but what a game. What a sloppy game. Down to the wire of just sloppiness. The Huskies scored early on in the game, and I thought that was going to continue. But the Grizz defense showed up. They showed a Montana football. They were quick off the edges. They weren't letting anything happen in the middle. But I was just sitting there like, if I'm Washington, I'm assuming that one of my receivers can beat their corner, and I'm going to take a shot downfield. Now, obviously, they had some receiver issues, some guys in a play, hurt, whatever. It's unacceptable. Your third string running back or wide receiver in the a power five school should be able to dust a corner from Montana. Uh, but they never did take shots until they finally got into the two minute drill. They were moving the field. Um, their quarterback had three picks. That was the thing that really separated this game. Um, but I was, I was excited for Montana. This is the biggest regular season win probably in history, uh, at least in my lifetime or my, my fandom life li- lifetime of the Grizz. And uh, I got to see it in person, which was more special. I'll never forget that moment. Uh, me and some friends who attended the University of Montana were celebrating. We had a fun, uh, uh, I did a Instagram um, like selfie video of us celebrating, jumping up. And his friend had recorded us from the back. It was a really cool site. We, sh- we shared it on the Grizz fan page. They shared it. 
Uh, but that was a huge moment, man. I definitely party rocked that night and had a good time. Um, but dude, for the Grizz, that's such a powerful thing with all these FCS schools moving up to the FBS. So let's take action. Once you kick the shit out of the big sky and the, the Montana State Bobcats and you go into the FCS playoffs and potentially win the whole thing, consider seriously take a seat back and consider going to the FBS because there's we're, I've just lost the lust and, and, and excitement between the FCS anymore. You look at all the good FCS teams. They're now in the FBS. Coastal Carolina, a ranked fucking team. Appalachian State, Georgia Southern, they're all in there doing work. Put Montana where they deserve to be and let the team be great again. Unleash the beast. Anyways, enough of my Montana fandom here. Let's talk what happened last week. I mean, there was the big-time, primetime matchups. I had talked to you guys about the games that I am going to be tuning into. Um, the first one of note... Uh, that I think that we have to discuss is the Ohio State-Minnesota game. I had talked about Minnesota going to play them tougher than people think, and Ohio State has a lot to figure out week one with the new quarterback. You know, C.J. Stroud, 13 for 22, 294 yards, four touchdowns, uh, pretty good numbers. They were able to win 45-31. to 31. But I think if Muhammad Ibrahim, the Minnesota running back who went out, ended up tearing his Achilles out for the year, sadly, um, I think... If he would have stayed in the game, this would have been a lot much different of an outcome. Uh, he had 30 carries for 163 yards and two touchdowns while he was there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's brutal losing your starting running back, who's definitely a huge piece of your team. I remember a moment specifically, uh, biggest game of the season for Minnesota, right? You get, the, you get the top four potential playoff team. And then they go for it on fourth down at their own 29 and get 56 yards. You have nothing to lose. It's like, you know, screw it. Let's go for it. I thought that was an awesome call. Um, awesome moment. You know, obviously Chris Olave balled out in this game as well. He looks legit. He had a, a toe tapping sequence down the sideline. Just shows you his awareness, his athleticism. Uh, but yeah, am I super impressed with Ohio State? Not necessarily. Uh, more a little bit bummed about Minnesota, but a great game to kick off Thursday. Um, Coastal Carolina blew out Citadel as expected. Uh, as their ranked team, they they did that on Thursday. Weber State playing Utah tough for part of the game. Weber State known for having a really good defense. They only scored 17. They lost 40 to 17. Uh, but this was the uh, ex Baylor quarterback Charlie Brewer's debut for Utah in the Pac-12. He went 19 for 27 with 233 yards and two touchdowns. Uh, so he had a good performance. Uh, people are hyped up about him. So it'll be interesting to see how he could do in the Pac-12 managing Utah. The Utah Utes, who are in the top uh, 25. We had um, UCF in a very close game against Boise State, taking away the victory. Dylan Gabriel, 25 for 37. Pretty good accuracy, 318 yards and four touchdowns. The running back had 37, 32 carries for 170 yards and a touchdown. And their leading receiver, Jalen Robinson, was six yards, 140 yards and a touchdown. Lots of offense in this game. I was rooting for Boise State, a little bit of a local or team, uh, but a fun game. Again, these are all happening early in the week, getting you hyped up. Um, let's see what else happened. Eastern Washington, the favorite FCS favorite to beat UNLV. They ended up doing it in overtime, 35-33. to Very close game. Um, but hey, these FCS teams, like I said, the top ones are beating FBS teams more and more every year. Uh, it's becoming more known. And uh, the, the fact that, you know, they probably got paid a shit ton of money to win that game. 
that, that's awesome. Montana got paid $700,000 to, to beat the Huskies, and they also beat them in basketball this year. So go, Grizz, go. Up with Montana. Uh, but switching into Friday's action, um, I think the spotlight was definitely on Sam Howell, Sam Howell in North Carolina. And uh, a slow, sharp, slow start for sure. The, the dope action, though, was Lane Stadium and how rocking that was to the enter the Sandman entrance. I mean, this is probably the most rocking I've seen a stadium in years. And the place was crazy. You know, they had the jump around intro at Wisconsin. Seeing these college kids going full force fandom on the teams, having fans, sold out fans in the stadium, just gives me chills because, you know, the little bit of time out of that, you just forget how cool of moments those are. You get to be a part of that. And Virginia Tech in their first home game upsets a top 10 ranked team, although I think a little overrated. But Sam Howell, 17 for 32, 208 yards and a touchdown. Uh, 17 for 32, it definitely isn't something that you're you're hoping for. You usually want to have at least 75% or better. And he did throw three interceptions with a 41 quarterback rating. Um, yeah, tough start, tough place to play. Again, home field advantage is going to play huge dividends this year, especially when fans are going as wild and out as they were at that stadium. But huge win for Virginia Tech. Bravo, bravo. Uh, we also had South Dakota, another FCS school, not really expected to do amazing things this year, but barely, barely losing to Kansas, which again, Kansas is more known from their uh, basketball, but they are in the Big 12. Uh, they narrowly escaped a, a, a tough loss against the FCS school. A game that I had highlighted last week that's usually a lot of fun, Michigan State beating Northwestern by 17. Tough loss for them for sure. Um Interested to see is Michigan State actually improving uh, in their next game, or you know is Northwestern just that bad, you know worse than normal? And I think the the Friday night headliner that was the most surprising to me: South Dakota State, a very good team who's ranked high in the FCS, just like Montana, didn't just beat Colorado State; they waxed Colorado State. So that's two FCS schools getting Pac-12 victories. Um, yeah, I mean, I didn't watch this game. I, I was just flipping back and forth on the box score. Uh, but they definitely had a heavy dose of running. Their starting running back at 138 yards, and their backup had 84. Colorado State didn't get much on the ground. It was mostly uh, through the air. So I'm assuming they really just timed the possession the shit out of them and was able to get the job done. When it comes to turnovers, they had, Colorado State lost a fumble, uh, but not a lot of crazy turnovers. Uh, but the quarterback was... Uh, finished for Colorado State, Todd Centiro with a 33 quarterback rating. Moving into Saturday, I got up, got some coffee, rocking and rolling for Oklahoma. Oklahoma, definitely mixed reviews. Got to play a home game, stole a home game because of the hurricane. And Tulane damn near scraped away a victory. Um, I thought Spencer Rattler was a little reckless as the Heisman uh, favorite. But at the end of the day, you look at his quarterback line, 30 for 39, 304 yards and a touchdown. Uh, he almost had three, but he did have two interceptions. Uh, Kenny Brooks looked great, as I expected. Um, definitely some issues going on with the receiving room. But the defense, this was supposed to be the year of the improved defense. They give up 35 to two lane. Uh, that's definitely not a good way to start the season. They ended up giving a total of, let's see. 396 yards. You can't be giving up over 300 yards to a team like that. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, 
Uh, Oklahoma slipped into the standings to number four or in the rankings, and we'll talk about that in a second. But uh, definitely a, a rough loss. Is it going to be the end of the world? No. Uh, if they lose that, absolutely. So they pulled off the win. They can improve from here, and it'll be fine. Spencer Rattler still could win the Heisman. Uh, but, yeah, uh, rocky start to say the least. Pretty much as expected, Alabama roll tide roll. They ran all over Miami. Um, Bryce Young looking amazing within his start is now the Heisman uh, favorite. He finished 27 for 38 with 344 yards and four touchdowns. Uh, Jamison Williams with 126 of those yards. And John Mitchie, the, probably the most talked about receiver in that room, uh, was 76 in a touch as well. Derek King, 23 for 31, 171 yards, one touchdown, two interceptions. That just shows you ACC football versus SEC football. And yeah, I mean, it's a beast. Uh, the ACC was not able to get their big dog with a win as Clemson dropped a close one to Georgia. This was going on during the Montana game. I figured I'd be streaming and tuning in, but I didn't because Montana was all about that action and it was down to the to the wire the whole game. But uh, JT Daniels, 22 for 30 with 135 and a pick. So, you know, didn't just jump off the page there to start the game. Um, Clemson does have very good defense. Uh, DJ for Clemson, 19 of 37. Tough accuracy there, 178 yards and a pick. So defenses showed out. Georgia was able to, you know, get the game figured out. At the end of the day, um, Georgia had 256 total yards to Clemson's 180. And they also had two turnovers versus Clemson's one. Uh, but they were able to etch out a win. Um, going to be tough for Clemson. They're going to have to win out, but still manageable for them. Whereas Clemson beats Georgia, I think it's a lot tougher path for them to get a Final Four spot. Texas A&M looking pretty good as they rolled Kent State. I'm not going to judge this game too much, but as a sixth team in the nation, you got to look good. They did. Uh, Iowa State, not so much. Another FCS-FBS matchup. Northern Iowa losing 10-16 to against Iowa State. Uh, Northern Iowa is good. You know, they're one of the top FCS teams as well. Let's see what the updated rankings are. They have Northern Iowa after last week at 21. So they're in the top 25. They were 21 last week anyways. Um, but Iowa State, you're ranked seven, dog. Like you got to show out. Brock Purdy, decent managed game. 21 for 26, 199, no picks or touchdowns. Brees Hall, 23 carries for 69 yards, but a three-yard uh, average on those runs. Not a very good um, yards per carry, but they were able to get the win. Again, they can manage it as long as they look good the rest of the year. But uh, props to the FCS schools. I mean, Northern Iowa able to shut down uh, the Iowa State rushing to barely over 100 yards. They only did get 45 of their own. Their quarterback had two picks, and they were right in this game. So, you know, you avoid a couple of those picks. They might have had a chance. Uh, rough start for Iowa State. We'll definitely have my eyes on to see what they look like uh, in the next couple, next couple coming weeks. Cincinnati straight out rolled Miami of Ohio 49-14. Their quarterback 20 for 25, 295 yards and four touchdowns. That is Desmond Ritter. Uh, this is a team that I said is overrated, but you can't really judge it against Miami of Ohio, but they've passed the eye test this far just based on that score. Um, not an FCS game, but... Uh, a lot lower FBS team, Fresno State, barely losing to Oregon. I was having a good time watching this one before I left to the Montana game. Um, I really thought Fresno State had a chance, but Oregon was able to figure it out, get the job done. Not, you know, a lot of a testament to Anthony Brown, their starting quarterback, 
who had a 15 for 24, 172 yards and a touchdown, but the running game at 186 yards. That was really the difference maker within this matchup. And uh, when it came to turnovers, uh, Fresno State had three versus Oregon's one. So that's really what had the fat lady singing. But uh, Oregon looking sketchy early on, as well as Iowa State and Oklahoma. Definitely keep your eyes on them going into week two. Uh, Penn State with a huge win, upset win as the 19th ranked team over the 12th ranked Wisconsin. This was a Big Ten matchup if you could write one up. Not a lot of offense, a lot of defense. Um, Penn State won with 247, 297 total yards versus Wisconsin's 359. Um, the big difference was turnovers. Wisconsin with three, Penn State with zero. Sean Clifford, the redshirt senior, just doesn't do it for me, man. Uh, nothing about his play is sexy whatsoever. I got to see him uh, his first year as a starter in Penn State against Pittsburgh when I went to the Steelers game that weekend. He was 18 for 33, 247 in a touch. Uh, the rushing game was very minimal, but the turnovers really put him in a position to get this win. Uh, Graham Mertz for Wisconsin had two picks. He was 22 for 37, 185. And uh, Chez Malusi had 31 carries for 121 yards on the ground for Wisconsin. But a fun matchup, another packed house. Again, the jump around celebration, but a tough way to start the season if you're Wisconsin having high hopes ranked at 12. Um, USC steamrolled San Jose State. Uh, Florida steamrolled Florida Atlantic as expected. And then the biggest upset, upset of the weekend. Again, what a fucking jam-packed week one in college football. But UCLA beats LSU 38-27. to and the whole world's buzzing. Um, this just makes me think of the NCAA bracket as the Pac-12 teams came out of nowhere. But Oregon not looking good. Washington getting upset. UCLA put the Pac-12 on the map, beating LSU. Um, and really doing it just with efficient football. Um, Dorian Thompson-Robinson was 9 for 16. 260 yards, 3 touchdowns. A lot of big plays. Uh, Max Johnson for LSU, 26 for 46, 330. 330 yards, three touchdowns, and a pick. Not able to get the run game going. They had 49 rushing yards. UCLA had a, a 210, led by Zach Charbonnet, who had 11 carries for 117 yards, which is a 10.6-yard average and a touch. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that's just wild that this happened. Um, UCLA's offense was just able to, to do enough to get the job done. And... Uh, yeah, I mean, LSU's back to the drawing board. I don't know how they could recover from that in the SEC. Uh, let's look at their schedule here. They play Auburn, Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama, and Texas A&M at the end of the year that's raked. So, yeah, they're going to have to clean house within that schedule. I don't know how possible that is, um, but it is the first game with a lot of new players. Sometimes they could turn it around. Where another overrated team from last week, Indiana gets smoked by the Iowa Hawkeyes. I love to see it. Maybe you hate to see it, but I love to see it. Uh, Spencer Petras for Iowa, 13 for 27, 145 yards. A lot of their damage was done on the run game. Uh, they had 158 rushing yards. While Indiana just didn't get a lot going on, uh, didn't get a lot going offensively. And they had three turnovers compared to Iowa's two. Uh, but this was pretty much a, a blowout the whole way. And a team that I wasn't very aware of that was in the top 25, the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns. Well, they got Longhorn horns up in this matchup as Texas beat them 38-18. Uh, Hudson Card, the 
Technical starter was 14 for 21 with 224 and two touches. While Casey Thompson, the committee quarterback, was four for five with 41 yards and a touchdown. So they play both played very efficiently. The run game uh, was able to to pop. Um, all led by Bijan Robinson, who had 20 carries for 103 yards. They had 170 total. And a very big game by Jordan Whittington, who had seven catches for 113 yards and a touchdown. Again, is this being Texas playing good ball? Or is Louisiana had did the Raging Cajuns have no reason being in the top 25? Time will tell. I'm assuming it's the latter half. Uh, Michigan won at home, preparing for Washington, which isn't as exciting as a matchup as you would have expected. Kansas State squeaking by Stanford. I had picked Stanford in that one. Skylar Thompson and Deuce Vaughn. The Deuce is loose. He had a massive highlight run. Uh, we're able to get the job done. And then wrapping up last week, Wyoming squeezing by FCS Montana State. Thank God they got the job done, but not a good look whatsoever for the Wyo Cowboys. I don't think they are too have too much of expectations, uh, but yeah, I mean... They were out-yarded total yards by Montana State. Actually, I lied. That was just passing. Um, they were able to just squeak it out at the end of the day. That's what it came out to, and I'm not too happy about it. Uh, Texas Tech beating Houston in a good non-ranked matchup. Oklahoma State barely squeezing by Missouri State. Barely or Baylor barely getting by Texas State. And... What else? BYU beating Arizona in a close game. Utah State beat Washington State to start out in the Pac-12. Hawaii barely beating Portland State, little FCS, FBS. And then on Sunday, we had the Sunday night game. Notre Dame beating Florida State back and forth affair. This was a lot of fun to watch. I thought Florida State had lost the game. They had made a late run and made it uh, push overtime. But Notre Dame was able to get it done. Jack Cohen, 26 for 35, 366 yards and four touchdowns and a pick. I thought he looked great. I didn't know too much about him, uh, but he looked great. A lot better than the Notre Dame run game that only had 65 yards. Uh, Jordan Travis starting for Florida State. Mackenzie Milton getting some time in. The UCL, UCF super story guy that broke his leg in, in the old days there. So you got to see Milton come in who had had that tragic leg break at UCF, the good story of UCF the year that they had went bonkers. Uh, so I was glad to see him. Uh, good to see him back in, able to play some football, uh, played efficiently. But they were really led by that run game. Florida State had 264 rushing yards. Joshua Corbin with 15 carries for 144. And Treshawn Ward with 11 for 76. Uh, good yard averages there. Yeah, you know, this is another non-conference thing that's like cool well is florida state back or is notre dame just highly overrated i think it's a little bit of both i thought they looked well uh you know notre dame's defense is not a joke so they were able to still put up some big yards and some points so it's going to be fun to see how these two teams play tallahassee was rocking it was just it's really fun to see those stadiums rocking and rolling to start the year and then on monday we had louisville versus old miss old miss able to handle business Awesome week one. I, we've we, we've found out so much about the year, uh, but there's a lot more to find out in week two. And that sets us up for the rankings. The AP rankings coming out just this afternoon because there's a Sunday and Monday game. Uh, Alabama, clear favorite with 59 first, first place votes. Georgia number two with four. 
Ohio State scooting up to number three, while Oklahoma falls down two to number four. Still in the top four, not surprised. Tough, tough game against Tulane where Ohio State and Georgia beat big names. Well, Ohio State didn't beat a big name, Minnesota, but bigger than Tulane. Um, Texas A&M stays at, or goes up one to five. Clemson down three to six. Cincinnati up one to seven. Notre Dame eight. Iowa State nine down two. Iowa 10 up eight spots. Penn State to 11 up eight spots. Oregon down one to 12. I thought that was a little bit surprising that they're only down, but I guess the teams below them aren't too highly sought out. Florida stays at 13. USC up one to 14. Texas up six to 15. UCLA goes from unranked to 16. Coastal Carolina up five inside the top 20. Uh, 17. Wisconsin down six to 18. Virginia Tech unranked to 19. Old Miss unranked to 20. Utah up 3 to 21, Miami down 8 to 22, Arizona State up 2 to 23, North Carolina big drop down 14 to 24, Auburn unranked to 25. Right outside the rankings you got TCU, uh, North Carolina State, UCF, Liberty, LSU, Michigan, Oklahoma State, Indiana, Michigan State. So some decent teams right outside the top 15. I'm surprised Florida State didn't get as many votes right outside and then drop from the rankings. LSU, Indiana, Washington, and the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. So when I look at this, you know, again, it's hard to say based on what happened this past week, but I do not expect Cincinnati to stay at seven. Again, their schedule is pretty favorited because they play in the American Conference. Their next big opponent, potentially you could say Indiana, who is ranked in a couple weeks. But then they have that Notre Dame matchup on October 2nd. That's really going to be the proving point. They do have some tough scraps with UCF in the schedule. Um, But I think they are overrated. I think Notre Dame is a little overrated at number 8 as well. I think Iowa State after that performance, a lot to understand. Are they underrated? Not too sure. They probably should be a little bit further down. Um, Oregon's overrated. Wasn't very impressed with what I saw uh, from them. And Iowa potentially underrated at 10. Really good performance. Um, I'm going to have to go with Texas being overrated at 15. You know, sure, they beat the Raging Cajuns, but we'll see what really they have in the tank. They don't even have, like, a certified quarterback yet. UCLA, awesome win at LSU. Honestly, I think a lot of that's got to be on LSU. I do not expect UCLA to be 16th or higher by the end of the year. Uh, Virginia Tech potentially underrated, man. That performance... Uh, that team really came to play. I, I think they could keep moving up the list. We look at their upcoming schedule. They have Notre Dame October 9th and Miami. Dang, they could potentially win out. So keep your eyes out on Virginia Tech. You, you get a win at home versus Notre Dame and on the road at Miami. You might be talking. You might be talking. Uh, but it's so early in the season to give too much you know, overrated, underrated outlooks. But let's talk what's on the slate for week two. Because goddamn, I loved me some football last week. Still on a high from that Montana win. We got, um, let's see, Oklahoma, you know, Western Carolina. Don't know a lot about Western Carolina, but if it's a close game, I'm going to go bonkers. So still a game to to keep an eye on. Uh, It's a 4 p.m. Pacific start on Saturday. Obviously, there's not as many days worth of games. It's not Labor Day weekend. It's not the first week. That's what makes the first week so special. 
The game that was really hyped up was the Ohio State-Oregon game, 9 a.m. on Fox. I don't know. I think Ohio State's going to wax them. I just have that feeling. I was not impressed with Oregon in that first game, but that's still a huge game on the slate. Two ranked teams, almost both inside the top 10. We got... Let's see. Texas A&M against Colorado. Not as you know intensive a game, but it is the fifth-ranked team, so something to keep your eye on. Colorado could play teams tough every once in a while. And then the big, sheesh, this is the game of the week, in my opinion. You got Iowa State, Iowa, the cross-state rivalry game on ABC 130. Iowa State's hosting the game. This is going to be brass tacks right here. You know, this is Iowa State's real, honestly, their playoff hopes within this game. And this is going to show people uh, a lot of what they actually have to offer before the Oklahoma matchup, which happens November 20th. So not all the way until damn near Thanksgiving. So it's going to be fun to see and interesting to see what happens here. And then Texas plays Arkansas. Arkansas is not ranked. Um, obviously, Texas up to 15. But this will be a good measuring stick for Texas, an SEC team. Arkansas waxed rice as expected. But Arkansas is always a top 25 lingering team. So we can see what their quarterbacks can do against a, high, a higher level defense. Miami at Appalachian State, upset alert. Um, you know, I think Appalachian State's really going to test them here, and they could really make Miami's season go down in flames if they pull the upset on the road and Miami goes 0-2, but that's going to be a fun one. That's a 4 p.m. start, ESPNU. Not a lot of ranked, as many ranked games, obviously. And then Washington going to the big house. I have a lot of coworkers that had booked that trip. Uh, after the Montana game, I, I'm sure they're feeling a certain way about that. End of the day, you get to see the big house. It's a 5 p.m. It's a night start. Um, so it, it's going to be a fun game. Uh, I do think I would expect Michigan to, to do work after what Montana had showed weaknesses out of Washington. But they're missing their best receiver of the year, and their season's still up for grabs. So that's going to be a big non-ranked non affair. And then that's really it for week two. So some good games, a couple of high, high, highly ranked sought after matchups, a couple teams to keep your eye on. But I am just so stoked college football is back. Um, another headline that I, I, I forgot to mention is that there is still being conference moves made. I'm sure you've seen, but UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, and Houston all do apply to the Big 12. I wouldn't be surprised if that's done, especially I think these are some of the top teams outside of the the the, the big power five schools to, to capture uh so we'll see what happens but that's football for us this week ladies and gents that's football let's see who does montana have next actually i gotta look we gotta we gotta give the alumni some shout outs i got i got my eyes glued to them now you know i didn't know how to feel coming into this year but the the, the sons of a guns Ended up winning at Husky Stadium. I still can't believe it. We got to give them some love. Who do the Grizz play? Grizz play Western Illinois. Western Illinois is more of a tune-up game. Uh, they play in the Missouri Valley Conference. They lost their first state against Baltimore. Uh, Ball State, I guess. Yeah, the Ball State Cardinals, 31-21. Um, 
The Grizz at home should be a waxing job here. Will be interesting to see what happens. Uh, see if they could continue the mojo. And then week three, they play. They don't play. Dang. So they play Western Illinois. They have a bye week. I hate the big sky sometimes. And then they play Cal Poly, which is always a uh, tough game. Triple option. Watch out for that. We'll keep an eye out on Montana, especially the quarterback play, as it was ugly. Ugly quarterback play against the, the Huskies. Open receivers, missed throws, dropped balls. But again, it was against the Huskies, so you know you might have to credit their defense. Their secondary is always good. Their defensive rush is always good. So we'll find out a lot in the next couple weeks. But let's move on to the UFC because there was some fights, an early fight card this weekend, and there are some more fights announced and some banger alerts for sure. We got Randy Costa taking on Tony Kelly. I really did like what Randy Costa had to offer against the Adrian Yanez fight in a very, very deep bantamweight division. So I'm excited to see how he could rebound. Uh, Macy Barber is taking on Montana De La Rosa. This is a great matchup, a veteran versus kind of a new up-and-comer. And then we have uh, Ketlin Vieira taking on Misha Tate. Misha Tate coming back. You'd expect her to be active as long as she keeps winning as she is, you know, a little bit older. Um, but the banger alert of the week that just caught me by surprise. We have Rafael Fiziev versus Brad Riddell, the, the Aussie thunder from down under, the bangers, uh, different countries. This is going to be a blast of a fight. I cannot wait. I don't even know who to pick at this moment. I'd have to really look at the specifics, but that's going to be one that's a must-watch fight coming up. Oliveira and Poirier, uh, Poirier confirmed for UFC 269. Supposedly, Charles is like, I haven't signed. You know, There's been a lot of leaked fights before contracts have been signed. I think the fighters are getting over it. That's just the world of social media for you. Uh, but I assume for sure that that fight's happening. Uh, Michael Chiesa taking on... Kind of one of the like underdog sneaky stories of the UFC, Sean Brady. He's trying to get back on track after that loss. And then just another banger alert. Shane Burgos taking on Billy Quarantillo. Um, Shane Burgos was a, uh, was a part of that Josh Emmett fight where he shredded everything within his knee. And then his last fight was a banger as well as he had taken on. Let's see who did he fight last? Uh, Edson Barboza which leapfrogged him into the Giga fight to try to, you know, go into contention within the weight class. And then another banger of some young heavyweights. We got Jimmy Crute versus Jamal Hill. Um, that's going to be a blast. Two young guys, lots of power, just figuring out their, their skills and abilities and how far they can go. So lots of fun fights happening this fall. But let's talk last week. I had only digested three fights within the fight card here, but there were some good wins that I want to give shout-outs for. Julian Arosa, nice win, very tough opponent. Khalil Roundtree just looking like the, the knocking out, killing machine that he is. That freaking not sideways knee check he gave that guy just collapsed his knee. The power behind those punches. And then Patty Pimblett, UFC debut. I didn't want to give this guy a lot of clout because I didn't believe in him. I still wasn't that impressed. He almost got knocked out. Knocked out. Everyone's high on him. We'll see. I just can't take the bull cut and just who he is very seriously. We'll see what can happen. And then Molly McCann with a nice win as well. But Jack Shore, the undefeated fighter, stays undefeated with the unanimous division, decision over Ludwig Scholinian. Uh, he was the ultimate fighter guy that had an opportunity as Jack Shore's opponent pulled out. 
And this was a mismatch from the gate. Shore delivered right outside, you know, right right after the bell. Um, you know, Ludwig is tough. He showed that he lasted to the third round. But Jack had 104, 104 total strikes and 92 of those significant versus Ludwig's 33 total and 19 significant. Jack was able to get two takedowns as well. And he said after the fight, he was fighting with the torn bicep. So even more clout and respect to this guy's name. But he's undefeated at 15-0, which is a very good record. And I'd like to see him against a little better competition. Um, I think he's going to have a lot of Sean O'Malley in him as he'll get, you know, tune-up fights until they really think he's ready as he's still young. How old is this guy? I had it listed in the pre-fight, but he is 26 years old, not even entering his prime yet. You know, definitely a stud, though, obviously. Um, but I'd like to see him against Saeed Nurmagomedov or Adrian Yanez. Um, very tough first UFC fight for Ludwig. I don't know if he can manage in this very deep bantamweight class, and I'm not too sure what his contract situation is. If he just got the one fight for late fill-in, they gave him a couple more because he was a late fill-in like the Chris Mutino who fought Sean O'Malley. Um, but hopefully he figures it out because, yeah, that was a very brutal first fight, and it's not going to get much easier in this division. Moving on to the heavyweights, we had Tom Aspinall with a first-round knockout over Sergey Spivak. Spivak, a very well-rounded opponent, probably the toughest opponent Aspinall had, and I picked Spivak because of that. Well, this was as dominant of a showing as you could have at heavyweight. Spivak really had no chance from the get-go. Um, he didn't land a strike, and Aspinall let his hands do the work and do the talking. It only took 16 shots, and that was all she wrote. Um, Aspinall's last fight, I picked against him and he made slight work of his opponent. Uh, he did it again here. Uh, he really delivered. He wants to keep fighting tougher competition versus jumping into the competition. He doesn't want to jump the gun, but I'm impressed. I'm massively impressed at this point. I'm not too sure, you know, where to put him in like a rankings. If I had to, uh, he is on a seven fight win streak Four of those in the UFC. I'd like to see him against Augusto Sakai. Who's coming off a loss or, uh, Blagoy Ivanov, who's also up in the rankings. Uh, but because of this win, Aspinall moves up to number 11 as Spivak drops to 15. I could see Spivak fighting an Alir Latifi, uh, another older, well-rounded heavyweight vet that uh, needs a fight book. So there you go. Matchmakers made in heaven. And then the main event. This is a fight I was super excited about. I had a feeling what had transpired was going to happen and that takes away some of the fun. Uh, but Derek Brunson with the third round submission over Darren Till, this was literally the Brunson winning script written all over it. I mean, the man's 37, almost 38. He's never, you know, he's trying to get another shot at the title and sometimes you just got to stick to what works in your bread and butter. Uh, he wasn't shy about talking about his strengths and using wrestling before the fight. You know, you got to stick to your advantages sometime. And much like the Holland fight, the Brunson-Holland fight, Till was never able to get comfortable on his feet. You know, Brunson is right on the edge of this title fight, and he had to do what he had to do to get the dub. Uh, but a very tough loss for Till. You know, he's at 28. Uh, he could change the course, much like Brunson did in his day. You know, he had posted a thing about um, Oliveira wearing the strap and um, oh, somebody else that I, I'm blanking on his name right now. But it can be done. You know, he's only 28. He could he could change the course. You know, we've talked about Kevin Gastelum, same thing. I'd love to see Brunson fight for the title. 
But I expect the UFC to make him fight again uh, because he has to wait for the Izzy rematch with Whitaker. I'm potentially at this point leaning Whitaker. Um, but there's also Jared Cannonier who just fought. Those two could fight. The winner of that fights the winner, right? So Because they both technically deserve a title shot. So that just kind of eliminates it. Um, but Der- uh, Derek Brunson moves up to number four. Till himself has lost four of his last fights. Again, against killers. We've gone over this. Uh, but he needs to get back on track. I think a fight against Jack Hermanson would be great. Uh, if not, maybe Uriah Hall. Because there's a lot of fights booked in this division. Um, but, uh, yeah. I mean, short card here. Not a lot to transpire. Some things I co- didn't digest. We had covered at the top. Uh, but we have a Saturday off. No fights this Saturday. And in two weeks, we will have another UFC Apex card on ESPN. The headliner is Anthony Lionheart-Smith versus a very good young up-and-comer, Ryan Spann. That should be a doozy. Uh, Another Apex card before the UFC uh, pay-per-view at the end of the month. But let's chat up a little NBA action. Just enough to have headlines on here to discuss it. Um, the Knicks, Nets, and Warriors ban unvaccinated players to their arena, and it is announced that unvaccinated players in home markets that require vaccinations need to enter arenas, uh, will need exemptions to play and enter the arena. They will be separated from players that are vaccinated on a plane, in locker rooms, and when eating meals. So the NBA is really going strict with their vaccination policies. At the end of the day, if I'm a player, you want to play, get a vaccine, I know the NFL is going through a lot of mixed emotions with that right now. Um, but, hey, uh, th- what this means to me is, is not as many issues come basketball season. Uh, but for personal opinions, that's just a lot of – yeah. if you have any opinion in the situation or you're political, this is a, it's a tough thing for sure. I was honestly surprised that they were even able to do that. Uh, but Paul Millsap and LaMarcus Aldridge signed to the Nets. The deep championship contending teams get deeper – although with age, much like the Lakers. Uh, But I expect both of these guys to be pivotal through their season and their title run. Memphis agreed to trade uh, Juancho Hernan Gomez to the Celtics for guards Chris Dunn and Carson Edwards. They have a little bit of a a guard jam, especially with Peyton Pritchard balling the way he is. Carson Edwards hasn't quite transpired. Chris Dunn's multiple chances. Maybe them working with John Morant can spark spark some of that as they need some extra guards. And then the Nets trade away DeAndre Jordan to Detroit for Jalil Okafor and Saku Dumbuya. So the Nets getting rid of DeAndre Jordan, putting in Paul Millsap, LaMarcus, and also getting a depth move with Jalil Okafor, who's never quite shaked out. So some moves worth talking about. But we got to talk about MLB, baby, because it's September and fall's coming around the corner. Some headlines around the league. Kenta Mayetta, Mayetta needing to get Tommy John. Bummer news for for the for for Kenta for sure. Uh, the Nationals released Starling Castro after a suspension. He hasn't done much. I'm not too surprised with this. Um, some Angels news. The Angels release Jose Iglesias. At this point, I'm assuming they tried to move him at the deadline. Couldn't get anything in return or no no suitors. As there's other better other players available that were better. Uh, well-rounded, not necessarily better defensively, uh, but they just let him go because we're trying out a bunch of young guns. We've kind of you know, thrown the white flag up on the season, probably shutting down Trout at this point. So Jose Iglesias signs with the Red Sox on a contending team 
and the team just got that much better. Uh, the Braves also extend Charlie Morton, probably the best pitcher they have on their staff uh, for a year, so they get to keep him in Atlanta next season. You know, the standings get tighter and tighter. There's only so many games left. Uh, the Braves are a game and a half up on the Phillies to hold the NL East title as, uh, to this day. That's gone all around the league this year. The Mets most of the time, Phillies a little bit, Braves here, but the Phillies in second, one and a half games back. And the Giants lead a little bit slimmer. They're down to a one-game lead on the Dodgers as they have some head-to-head matchups coming. And for the wild card, the Mariners, the, the closest team back with two and a half back, uh, Toronto three and the A's three and a half. So all three teams definitely have a shot at this. Um, I am going to attend the Red Sox Mariners game next week. Uh, they have a three game series going to the pride of the Tuesday night game. That one's going to be a lot of fun as their seasons could potentially be on the line on the NL side of things. The Reds still hanging around a game back the Phillies, two games back the Cardinals three and a half and the Mets four. So teams still within striking distance. So let's talk about what happened last week. A very good matchup uh, that will determine playoffs. Toronto ended up sweeping the athletics to give themselves a shot at, uh, to be back within wildcard contention. Boston ended up beating the Indians two to one. The brew crew separating themselves from the Cardinals with a two to one series victory. The giants keeping their stranglehold on the division, a two one victory over the Dodgers. And then the Padres flexing that NL muscle and just trying to stay alive against very good opponents. They beat the Astros 2-1. to one. So this weekend, we got Brewers versus Indians as the Indians try to spoil the Brewers a little bit. The Yankees play the Mets as the Mets try to stay alive. The Yankees try to stay on the AL wild card. Then we have Red Sox, White Sox, two dominant AL teams as the Red Sox try to stay within the wild card race. You have Reds versus Cardinals as both teams are battling out a wild card matchup or wild card place. And then the Padres versus Dodgers, the big time show, um, one of the series and, and shows that everybody's wanted to watch as the Padres try to stay alive. And outside of that, some other hitters around the sports world, USA soccer with a couple draws. They play tomorrow. Who do they play tomorrow? I can't remember. But very tough draw against Canada. Um, they had most of the time of possession. They were moving the ball well. Not good to have two draws. They still obviously have life here. But a draw against El Salvador last Thursday. Canada won one on Sunday. Now sets them in position as they play Honduras tomorrow at 7.30. Better not get a draw. And then they're off until October as they play Jamaica Panama and Costa Rica um, early in October. Other news around the league. Uh, Evander Holyfield subbed in for Oscar De La Hoya after testing positive against Vitor Belfort and Tim Tebow and Michael Irvin going and joining first take. As we talked about Greeny not being a part of the show, you want to talk about ratings. These guys are going to get ratings. It's going to be a, just a hodgepodge mess. Interested to see how it'll work out as there's completely different personalities here. And then the Tito Ortiz versus Anderson Silva thriller event happening this weekend for fight fans. Will I tune in? Maybe try to stream it if I have time, but definitely not a priority. What is priority is football 
And we're going to have so much football action for you guys next week once the Steelers upset the Bills. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, you guys are sports fans, football fans. You get it. I'm hyped up. But when, <laughs> uh, when you're thinking of business and buckets, don't forget field supplements. You guys need supplements. They got you. Use my promotion code, Buckets, for 15% off. See you guys next week.